If there are any kind of like security cameras or anything, and he knew what happened to Michael, why the fuck would he think Michael survived that? Because Michael, frankly, shouldn't have survived that. Ladies, gentlemen, and those with the good sense to do away with the whole notion, I welcome you to the premier audio medium for all your Fazbear entertainment needs. The Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. Note, FFPD is not responsible for any loss of appetite, disinterest, dismemberment, or other legally classified statuses. So strap in and enjoy. Welcome back to the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast. I'm your host with the Toast Ritos here, here to talk about Five Nights at Freddy's like we always do on this podcast. And I'm just going to get right into it. Into the Pit is a game that's going to happen probably this year. Like, okay, so for anyone who didn't see this past week's video or have, hasn't been on Twitter or Reddit for like two weeks, um, a bunch of shit went down. So to catch you up to speed, Scholastic put a flyer out talking about um, FNAF books and like, oh, we, we're the FNAF book publisher. And um, I'm going to scoot over here to the microphone. And on that flyer, they're like, into the pit, game coming soon. And everyone was like, huh? And we kind of just assumed, why am I still not lined up with my microphone? There we go. We kind of just assumed that it was just a mistake on Scholastic's part. It would not be the first time Scholastic just like messed up something in marketing. But soon after, there were pretty substantial leaks, including an entire trailer and several screenshots of this game. So it was like, oh shit, this is a real thing and it's leaking. Um, as like the Reddit's like mods and folks on Twitter were trying to suppress this leak, Scott actually came out and said like, hey, don't worry about it. It already, it, it's been leaked. I've been excited to show it. I wanted to wait a little longer, but I think we have something really cool here. It's fine to talk and, and show this stuff. So it's fine. Scott basically said, this sucks, but whatever. You guys can talk about the leak. It's fine. So we're talking about it because holy shit. So I believe it's uh, from Mega Cat Productions. I'm going to double check the developer team there. Mega Cat Studios is the developer's. Um, and they've made some really, really solid games in the past. And this game looks really, really solid. Um, I don't want to like just sit here and break down the whole trailer because I already did that in this week's video. And any if I just do it again, I'm going to do it poorly. Um, but I wanted to talk about the game. So first off, the art style looks amazing. I just totally blanked for a moment. So if I reiterated something, sorry. But yeah, it's by Mega Cat Studios. It looks really, really solid. The art style looks super good. It actually looks like it might be scary, which is fun. Um, I, I don't really get that scared at video games anymore. Like, I appreciate when a game is scary, but I just don't personally get that scared anymore. Like, I think one of the few games that have come out recently that have genuinely scared me have been, like, Shipwreck 64, um, It Steals. Uh, Help Wanted scared me for a while, but I, I mean, I've played it enough now that I'm used to it. And even now, like, just VR horror isn't as scary as it once was. I think I'm just getting desensitized realistically, but this looks genuinely scary. So I'm really excited for it. Um, but today to like talk about something worthwhile on the podcast, I wanted to talk about like what the story of the game is, or at least what the story of the book is, what the story of the game might be, what we have seen and what we might see. So when talking about the story of into the pit, it's interesting where on the surface, it, felt so much like one of the uh, things Scott mentioned in the book or in the post about book canonicity with Fazbear Frights, where it was some 
God, what was the? It was something along the line. I gotta look up. Look up something again. Here it is. When he, uh, so on one of the many, well, I say many, one of the few Scott posts out there. Uh, this is when he was talking about the future of Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, and in talking about Fast for Frights, this is what he said. There's a new line of books on the way from Scholastic. They'll be very different from the original book series, as it will be a collection of short horror stories that take place in the FNAF universe. The series will launch with five books, each containing three different short stories with unique characters and plot lines. Some connected directly to the games, and some not. Um, so the big question with a lot of Fazbear Frights is like, okay, so which ones are directly connected, which ones aren't? And Into the Pit was always an interesting case where nothing about Jeff's pizza or Oswald and his family scream, this is connected to the book, to the games. But then the 1985, uh, Five Nights at Freddy, or the 1985 Freddy Fazbear's pizza that Oswald goes to with the ball pit does seem like okay this is connected to the games we're getting information about the missing child incident but then we don't really get a lot of information about the missing child incident especially because oswald encounters a room with quote half a dozen bodies in it that's six and missing child incident is five now granted it's 1985, and a lot of people for a long time were like, okay, the details don't really line up, but this book is trying to tell us that the missing child incident happened in 1985. And I think that's a really solid understanding of what this story is trying to tell us. It's giving us a different number of kids, so we don't assume it's one-to-one, but it's giving us a solid and confirmed date. That made a lot of sense. But then, in the description of... Into the pit that we found, uh, I think, on the in the metadata of the site. I don't know exactly where it was found. There's so much information swirling around this game. But in the description for the game, it mentions uh, Oswald and... I think it's like Oswald's father and the souls of five children are at stake or something. Or like the lives of five children are at stake. It mentions five children, which is the missing child incident. So if this is 1985 and there are five children's lives on the lines, that's the missing child incident. But then that would also deviate from the book of Into the Pit. So my question is, in bringing Into the Pit into the game continuity, is Scott and the team, are Scott and the team going to be lightly, like, addressing the details of Into the Pit and tweaking it to much more closely, if not one-to-one, match the game's timeline? I think that would be the most useful thing to do. And then the idea would be that like Into the Pit as a Fazbear Frights story is still in that like separate dubious continuity because of the inconsistencies there. But this game adaptation changed those inconsistencies to not be inconsistent anymore. And in doing so is giving us a video game where that we can get more details about the missing child incident. Something that for a long time most fans have been asking for. I feel like the number one thing fans have been asking for is more information on the beginning of the timeline. Because we don't have enough to know what happened. And this game might be the one to do it. This game might be the one to be like, okay, you are now in 1985. There are five children who are like about to be killed. There's your details. You you're at a you're at a Freddy Fazbear's Pizza, you know, which uh, okay, missing child incident didn't happen at Fredbear's. And looking at the signs on the wall, it seems and like 1985 as a date, this would have definitely confirmed to be before FNAF 2. So, it's things like that that I think are really important. All this to say that for even from what we've seen in the trailer, 
it seems like this Into the Pit game isn't going to be without its own inconsistencies. One of the main ones being Chica. In We see a, um, not in the trailer, but there was a jeffspizza.club website, which people think might be eventually an ARG, we're not sure, but at least in the metadata of that website, people found a lot of screenshots for the game, and one of them had Oswald in a kitchen with Chica. Now, immediately, way different from the story of Into the Pit. The story of Into, in, Into the Pit... Oswald never goes in the kitchen. Oswald never, like, does any of this exploring. He literally just, like, shows up, and then the bunny's like, hey, come here, and just like, oh, shit, there's dead kids, and then we leave, and the rest of the story takes place outside of the pizzeria. So, like, this is a huge departure. However, the important thing I'm trying to bring up is that Chica, in this screenshot, has two toes. And I can't believe in 2024, counting the toes of an animatronic is still important to do, but those two toes are very important because Chica only ever had two toes in FNAF 1. In Bef and FNAF 1 is refurbished models of the withered animatronics. The withered animatronics being the like left-behind, broken-down versions of the originals, which the originals were the one involved in the Missing Child incident. So the Missing Child incident like happens in 1985, uh, presumably Susie gets stuffed into that Chica animatronic in 1985 and then is left there. FNAF 2 happens and Chica is like withered and decayed and has three toes. So presumably the original model of Chica had three toes, but when they refurbished her from FNAF 2 to FNAF 1, they had to replace the feet and now the new feet only have two toes. That's my guess anyway. I think that makes the most sense. But if that's the case and we are in 1985, why does this model of Chica have two toes? Now, I think there's two options here that I was thinking about, and I didn't mention this in the video. In the video, I was like, okay, maybe the timeline shenanigans cover more of the FNAF timeline than we are expecting, and we're going to see different moments in the FNAF timeline. But that's not the only possibility. Because there is a possibility that this shot of Chica in the kitchen with Oswald is in the modern day. Because we're in a kitchen. We don't necessarily see any Fazbear branding on the walls. We see Chica with completely blackened eyes, which kind of look like an agony monster. Like, in, in Fazbear Frights, we see a few, like, creations of agony. Uh, I could be getting some details wrong. I still haven't fully read all of the Fazbear Frights. I'm definitely working on it much faster now. Um... But I wonder if this manifestation of Chica is more an effect of the agony that Oswald got from the ball pit. I don't know. I think it's worth noting. Um, because if that's true, then that would explain why Chica has two toes, not three. Otherwise, it just seems strange. And then there is also a third possibility. They could just be retconning the design of Chica. And when I say retconning, I don't mean like, oh, they fucked up. I mean, they're leaning on they could be leaning on Help Wanted 1's explanation, where the games before Help Wanted 1, I, I personally think all six games, to an extent, were the indie uh, developer games that we hear about in Help Wanted 1. I think that makes the most sense with what we see referenced within Help Wanted 1. That being said, um, the main point of that retcon, I think, is that Scott and wh whatever developer he's working with need an out. This game series has been going on for 10 years, and sometimes a decision Scott made on a whim eight years ago fucks up what they're trying to do with the story today. So I think Help Wanted 1 was Scott kind of being like, hey guys, please, please, 
I will respect the original series and the original lore, and I will respect, to the best of my ability, the designs and locales and locations and aesthetic therein. But if there's, like, a minor design detail that completely fucks up the modern story, let's just say that that was the indie dev getting it wrong. The indie dev literally being a uh, fucking Scott self-insert. Scott getting it wrong, quote-unquote. And the modern interpretation is the correct one. So if we are in Into the Pit and we find out that, like, the 1985 Chica had two toes, I think there's a high probability... That it could just be the indie dev who made FNAF 2 got it wrong. And we just move on. I, I think that might also be a very possible possibility. But talking about translating the Into the Bit story into a game. Um, and I just watched the GT Live today uh, where they talk about the trailer. And uh, MatPat brings it up as well. Into the Pit as a story doesn't really make sense for a game. Like Into the Pit as a story is more like trying to play along and wait it out and be safe until you can figure out how to get rid of this pit bonnie. Not to mention, it doesn't become a threat until like 60 to 70% of the way through the story. The first major majority of the story is just Oswald like being a kid and hanging out. So it seems interesting to me that the game would be, uh, the description also mentions it's taking place over five nights. If to be a good game, in my opinion, only the first night should be threatless. You know what I mean? Where like kind of like in FNAF 1, 2, and 3, to an extent, FNAF, night one, FNAF 3 especially, night one, you're pretty much safe. Like there might be a threat or one thing to look out for, but it's like getting your bearings. It doesn't have to be threatless, but it needs to be like less so. And that can be the only night like that, because by the time night one's over, you're like, OK, I understand the game. Let's start playing. And then you have night two, three, four, five within the pit. If it was following the progression in the book, then pit Bonnie is only outside of the pit and an active threat for two days, which would theoretically mean that nights one two and three there's no way to lose at all which seems insane for a video game so i do wonder how they're going to translate um into the pit into a game because like sure you could do it where nights one two and three you're like just at the pizza place and like exploring it and then four and five are the big terrible like scary bits that doesn't really track for me because I feel like then there's only tension for, what, two, four, like, less than half of the game, which seems weird. Um, what I could see happening is that night one is normal, where, like, that's the night you find out about the ball pit. And then nights two and three, Pit Bonnie is a threat but only when you're in the ball pit and you're going in there to try to help the other kids not get killed by pit Bonnie. And then night, the beginning of like day four is when like in the book, that's when pit Bonnie leaves the ball pit and replaces your father. And then night four, you're now night four and five. You're now surviving in the real world with pit Bonnie also there. I think that makes the most sense for the progression of the game where like night one, like so too long, didn't listen night one, nothing, no problem. Night two and three pit Bonnie is a threat in the ball pit night four and five pit Bonnie is a threat outside of the ball pit. I think that makes the most sense. That being said, 
The other way I see this going is they took the most intense part of the story and made that the game. Where, in essence, instead of Pit Bonnie only being outside of the ball pit for two days, the game, like, night one, it's like, oh, shit, this is, it's happening. Pit Bonnie replaces our dad, and then we have five days to figure out how to get our dad and save those five kids in the ball pit. I could see that happening, too, because that would also make for a very compelling game. It would just be a lot less accurate to the book, which, like, I don't really care too much about how the game how accurate the game is to the book for progression so long as it is done in the service of making a fun game you know what I mean like the details I think do still need to be fairly accurate to the book to be because goddamn, there's like a, a horrible timeline where the game continuity the book continuity and the games based on books continuity are three separate things, and that's just going to be too much. <laughs> so I really don't want that to be the case. Um, but I've been yapping for like 20 minutes probably. I don't know. Um, there's more I can talk about the game, but I, I want to kind of go into questions before I forget, and maybe by the end, if uh, I haven't hit like that good, like 40, 45 minutes, we'll do more talking about Into the Pit. But for now, let's talk about questions. So if you have your questions or theories you want talked about on the podcast, go ahead and send them to Podcast at gmail.com. The email is in the description, so you can copy and paste it because it is a pain to type out, I understand. But for now, let's go through some questions that I have in front of me. The first one, uh, is uh, I, the question is less uh, what I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to bring up the attitude around the question. So this is from Lucas, he, him, thank you for your question. Did Puppet Charlie put the souls in the animatronics, or was it agony slash remnant based? I want to explain the lore to my friends that don't know as much and want to be correct. Thank you for your question, Lucas. Um, I will talk about that, because I think it's an interesting question, and I remember there being a debate on it not too long ago. But I wanted to make something very clear. Um... The second sentence is interesting to me. I want to explain the lore to my friends that don't know as much and want to be correct. The thing about the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's is that I don't think there is one correct answer for pretty much anything in this franchise. There are probably a few, but not many. So I don't think when you're explaining the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's to somebody the goal should be to be right or correct. I think the goal should always be to be accurate to the evidence you have. So what does that mean? An example, um, we can go with, let's stick with the puppet and Charlie and putting the souls in the body, uh, the, putting the souls in the animatronics. We know that in Give Gifts, Give Life, the puppet goes to the four bodies and then puts four masks on them. And we also know that after the MCI, the animatronics start to smell. So there are two interpretations of this that I've seen a lot online. And I weigh one of them versus the other. The one interpretation is that William Afton killed the five missing child incident kids and then stuffed their bodies into the animatronic suits to hide them because no one would know how to look for them and then he would never get caught. Um, but while they're in there, the puppet... Uh, assists those souls in possessing the animatronics um, and that's why give gifts give life happens the other interpretation i've seen is that william just killed the kids and the puppet is the one who put the bodies in the animatronic suits so that they can go on to possess them and fight back both of these 
as much as I really disagree with the second interpretation, and I'll get into why personally, both of these, I think, are completely valid things to explain to someone who doesn't know anything about the lore and be like, hey, this is what I think. You, The thing you always want to stress is, this is what I think. And if they're interested, be like, this is what I think because of this piece of evidence, this piece of X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And the reason that I think both of those are valid things to say, those are different things. Completely different. One, William Stuffs. One, the puppet Stuffs. Completely different things. But they are both logical conclusions based off of the evidence we have in front of us. Neither one of them is correct, but both of them are valid explanations and valid examples of what might have happened after the missing child incident. So that's what I really want to stick is that when you're explaining the lore, talking about the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's, the goal isn't to be right. Because I don't think anyone at the current moment can be fully 100% correct with the amount of evidence we have. But I think a goal to strive for is being as accurate as you possibly can to the evidence we have and using what you believe are the most logical conclusions to bridge the gaps. That being said, your question, your first question, did Puppet Charlie put the souls in the animatronics or was it agony slash remnant based? So pretty conclusively with the evidence we have, it seems like Puppet Charlie was able to assist the missing child incident victims in possessing their respective animatronic. We don't know the details. Frankly, we do not know the details of this. For a long time, it the idea had been like Remnant or Agony after the fact. So Remnant and Agony are interesting in here. I don't think Agony is too pertinent to this conversation. Remnant, Remnant as far as we're aware, isn't like when a robot possesses or when a, a child possesses a robot or a soul possesses a robot remnant is the material you get when you take possessed metal and kind of melt it down is what I, I is to my understanding um where like the fun times were probably were probably possessed via remnant injection by taking already possessed metal melting it down and injecting it um so as far as the missing child incident animatronics, my current interpretation actually leans on Tales from the Pizzaplex, specifically the book Alone Together, where a kid is like going throughout school and like nobody likes me, nobody talks to me, uh, my life sucks, but I really want to build this like cabinet uh, mechanism. And he finally like gets his dad to help him and his dad does the whole thing, his dad then destroys it and he's like, what's going on? And eventually his grandma is like, hey, you know that like, he notices that like something is possessing me because I keep getting these weird dreams and I keep seeing these weird things. And his grandma was like, hey, well, if something is possessing you, ghosts are often restless until their body is found. So you need to make sure that this ghost's body gets found so that it can be at peace and and not be so restless. So he goes to do it. But when he gets there, he finds that it's his body. He's been dead the whole time. He's been a ghost. So the whole story gets recontextualized that he, in an accident, built this cabinet and got stuck in it in a shed no one really knew about and was just trapped there to suffocate or starve. Which is a really dark and gruesome way to go, but because his body was never found, even by himself, he didn't have the memories of that. He was just lost and thought he was still alive even. But once he found his own body... 
his memories returned, and he was able to have autonomy over himself. And that's what I, I think this story's purpose isn't to be like, hey, isn't this weird that this like fucked up thing happened? But instead, this story's purpose is to be like, hey, isn't it weird that the the, the Charlie in the puppet needed to help these kids possess these animatronics? It's pretty much a one for one where these kids died and their bodies were trapped inside of a container that nobody knew of, maybe not even them. So these five kids were probably just playing at the pizza place or playing at the pizza place, confused and like, oh man, we're here again. Oh hey guys, we're just having fun, having a ball. And then Charlie's able to come in and be like, you need to come with me. Your body is in there and show them. And once they know their body is in there, they get their memories back. And I don't think it's getting their memories back that allows them to possess the animatronics. I think it's knowing that they're a ghost and suddenly remembering that somebody killed them, gave them the willpower and ability to then possess those animatronics and try to seek out revenge. So that's my interpretation, that Charlie was the one to guide these spirits to their bodies that are in these animatronics. I don't think the puppets stuff the animatronics. I don't think that's what Give Gifts, Give Life is telling us. I think if Gifts of Life is telling us that the puppet was the one to be like, hey, your body is here, you're dead. And then that's when they like open their eyes. Similar to what we see in the fourth closet where um, it's not the, it, it, uh, I forget who does it, but it's not that the character shows the missing child incident kids their bodies. It's that he does something similar that we see in the movie where he like draws a picture to be like, he's the one that killed you. And suddenly they have their memories back. Um, they They need to be woken up essentially. Um, and that's consistent throughout pretty much all of these stories that ghosts often need to be woken up to something that has happened to them. Uh, but thank you for your question, Lucas. On the next question. Now, this is a very old question. Uh, this was one that I thought I missed in my email. So sorry for the long wait on this one. But uh, Chamako, he, him, thank you for your question. What do you think about Chica's cupcake in the movie trailers? Is it an extension of Chica or a separate soul? Would love to hear your opinion. Yeah, when I say it's an old question, it's talking about the trailers, not even the movie. So now that we've seen the movie, I can actually answer this with more context. I've always been opposed to the idea. So it's at this point, it's nearly confirmed that Susie is the character who is uh, possessing uh, Chica and the, the child whose body is inside of Chica. And we know for a fact from Fruity Maze that Chica was led into the back room to be killed by William Afton promising that her dog didn't actually die. He's in the back room. Come, I'll show you. So there's always been this theory because the cupcake does often leave Chica and do other things. So people have had this theory that Chica's dead dog is actually a separate soul that went on to possess the cupcake so that Susie and her dog have been reunited in death. As nice as that is, I've never believed it. Personally, I always thought that uh, the Chica's cupcake functioned like Circus Baby's Bitty Babs, Ballora's, uh, uh, Ballora's um, Mini Renas, and Bon Bon for Funtime Freddy, where it's not that it's a separate soul, but it's something that they have control over being that animatronic. And I think Chica's cupcake was an example of that, where Chica can control this cupcake. But that's what I thought before the movie. I think the FNAF movie makes probably the strongest argument I've ever seen for the cupcake being possessed by Susie's dog. Because the cupcake in that movie not only seems to act on its own accord, 
but acts like a fucking dog the whole time. It even growls when it's attacking people. So, like, before the FNAF movie, I've always been like, it doesn't really make sense for Susie's dog to possess a cupcake before Susie, like, the dog isn't in the cupcake. The dog was killed on the street or something. You know, like, it doesn't make sense. But the FNAF movie really framed it as Chica and Chica's dog cupcake. So, I mean, maybe it's possible that Chica's cupcake is a separate soul, a.k.a. Susie's dog. I don't, but I I find no good evidence for that in the games. I just think that it's really interesting that in the movie, Chica's cupcake is like growling, attacking people's ankles, jumping and biting, like it acts like a dog. But thank you for your question, Chamico. Our next question comes from ProNinja19. He, him, thank you for your question. And it's actually a question that I, I wanted to bring up because I've seen it a lot. And I think it's just a misunderstanding, personally. I, I'm hoping that I can throw my hat in the ring here. Um, but the question is, in Pizzeria Simulator, Henry says that we somehow found this job listing not intended for you. If we really do play as Michael, like most of us assume, then who was the job listing actually intended for? And why wasn't it Michael? Mrs. Afton, maybe? Thank you for your question, ProNinja19. I've always thought this is a misunderstanding in the community, um, personally. So the line is, um, who some my brave volunteer who somehow found this job listing not intended for you. And the idea is, oh, it's Michael. Why wasn't it intended for Michael? Who did he intend it for? And I think that's a misconstruing of the line. I don't think the line is saying, I intended this for somebody specific and it wasn't you. I think the line is, holy shit, I didn't know you were going to show up. So in my mind, the way this situation reads is Henry just needs somebody, just anybody to come. He needs one person to help him. And he specifically built an exit route so that like when everything goes down, you can leave, you get paid. Thank you so much. Be on your merry way. And then he sets all of this up. And to his knowledge, the only players in this game are William Afton inside of Spring inside of uh, Springtrap, which he saw in the newspaper. Uh, th- what he found at Sister Location, which would then lead us to Entered, which is then Molten Baby and Molten F- or Scrap Baby and Molten Freddy, and he knows the puppet is still around because he knows his daughter is dead and possessing the puppet and all that. So, like the players he knows of, it makes sense that he knows they exist because Scrap tra- uh, Springtrap was in the news. He's been to the sister location bunker because he has the blueprints, so he knows what happened there, and he knows about the puppet. So, when he gets to FNAF 6, and he's like, okay, I need to capture these four things, and we'll all burn together, and it'll all be good. And then the guy who takes up his job is Michael fucking Afton, a walking hollow zombie. I think his reaction was, oh... I just needed like a random person to come here to help me and they could have left. I didn't intend for you to show up because I didn't know you were alive. And then the following statement of, I have a feeling you don't want to be alive anymore. So you don't have to use the exit if you don't want to makes a lot more sense. Right. I I think that if anything, Henry might have even thought Michael was dead because of what he saw in sister location. If there are any kind of like security cameras or anything and he knew what happened to Michael, why the fuck would he think Michael survived that? Because Michael, frankly, shouldn't have survived that. So I don't think the line, the job listing not intended for you, is meant to be like, 
oh, Michael, I didn't want you to show up. I wanted Mrs. Afton to show up. Or I wanted uh, fucking Sammy Emily to show up. I think the line, job listing not intended for you, is telling us that Henry had no idea Michael was even alive. Because logically, he shouldn't be. So why did he even expect Michael to be alive? I mean, Michael's, a, as far as we know, a walking purple zombie covered in, like, clothing to hide it. It's like... Of course, that's going to be like, oh, you're alive. So that that's always been my interpretation. I think the misunderstanding it. I, I think assuming that it was intended for somebody specific, not Michael, is a misunderstanding of the text. So and that's my opinion, frankly, like I don't have hard evidence to back that up. I just don't think the line uh, somehow found this job listing not intended for you. I think the I think the the direct object of that sentence is you, not not intended for. So that that's my interpretation. Um, but thank you for your question, Pro Ninja Nineteen. And we do have another question here from Casper. Any all same. Um, you've mentioned recently in your episodes that you believe the missing child incident did not happen in the FNAF Two location. I would like to know why specifically you believe that. The game Start newspaper tells us this pizzeria was reopened, so I wonder if it's possible that it was previously closed because of the MCI, which would also explain to me why the withered animatronics are still at the place they were just never gotten rid of. Uh, thank you for your Casper. Thank you for your question, Casper. Thank you for your Casper question. Uh, thank you for your question. Um, I should clarify my language. Um, when I say the MCI definitely didn't happen at the FNAF 2 location, the lo the word location is doing a lot of work. I, what I specifically mean is that the MCI cannot happen with the with the information we have right now. The missing child incident cannot happen during the FNAF two restaurant that we sees that we see. How do I phrase this? Like the FNAF two restaurant we see while that restaurant is open. The MCI cannot happen because that is in 1987 and the Withers are already there. What I'm trying to say is that it has to happen in an earlier version of Freddy's. That being said, you raise an interesting point I hadn't considered, being uh, that being that the FNAF 2 location is the same location of the early Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. They just reopened in the same building. That's, as far as I'm aware, possible. That's a good point, and that would explain why the Withers are just, like, hanging out in a back room. So that is a decent point. I, I do like that idea. I'd have to look more into it to, like, double-check there isn't, like, hard evidence to say otherwise. Um, but you you're right that the location of FNAF 2 could be the same location as the missing child incident. That is fair. What I was trying to say is that the restaurant that is open during FNAF 2 is not the same restaurant that the MCI happens in. Because the MCI, like the MCI we know for a fact, the restaurant that it happened in was open for at least a year, possibly more. And we know for a fact that the restaurant of FNAF 2 is only open for, I believe, a few short weeks. So, like, that just doesn't add up. That That cannot be the same restaurant. But the building, like the location, totally valid. That could be the same. Um, but for future reference, because I'm probably going to keep saying it because it just makes sense in my brain. When I say the FNAF 1 location, the FNAF 2 location, and the early Freddy's location, 
I specifically mean like the active and open restaurant, not necessarily the actual location of the building. So that that's unclear language on my part. Um, but I don't know how else to efficiently say the restaurant that is actively open and open during the time of FNAF 2, besides just the FNAF 2 location. You know what I mean? So I guess I, I'll, I'll try to think of a better way to phrase that in the future to avoid confusion, because I don't know of any other way to phrase that. But thank you for your question, Casper. That's a totally decent uh, uh, question to, to pose. Uh, totally reasonable. Um, but that being said, uh, if you want your questions or theories, like I said, talked about on this podcast, the email Podcast at gmail.com is below. You can go ahead and check that out. Uh, you can copy and paste it because it's a pain to type out. Um, but yeah, Into the Pit is coming out. Uh, uh, oh, we do know. Well, we don't know. We can, if we dissect the language that Scott said in his post... Before we end the episode, Scott in his post said that it will be a 10th anniversary game. This year is the 10th anniversary. So as far as we're aware, Into the Pit comes out this year. Like, I think that just makes sense. But that is reading into his language. And I did this in the video. If you really want to dissect his language, he says it will be a 10th anniversary game. Not it will be the 10th anniversary game. Which does, it it leaves the possibility for two games this year, which I don't think we're going to get. I do not think we're going to get two games this year, but it leaves the possibility open, especially, uh, now, not especially, Be- uh, the, the, the counterpoint to this is that the phrase is, it will be a game worthy of a 10th anniversary, not it will be a 10th anniversary game. So like the A there isn't necessarily implying multiple. It could be it could be um imp- it could be implying the worthiness of the game. So take that with a huge grain of salt. Uh most likely probably the only game we're getting this year. I mean, it's a like how many games can we get a year? You know what I mean? Um but I'm super super excited for it. It looks so good. I cannot wait to play it, but I think we are about at time. So, until next time, thank you for watching the Freddy Fazbear Pizza Podcast, where the pizza abilities are endless. We hope to enjoy your future patronage. Bye-bye for now.